Good evening, Patriots. And it's on the West Coast. It is 11 o'clock at on October 5th on the Mid-Central and the rest of the country. I think you all are in the next day. But that's cool. I am uh, down in Yuba City, and I was driving down today, and, and thank you for tuning in tonight because this is a late night, Fishers. It literally is late night with Jesus, and this is good. But um, I'm going to be down here for the next few days. I'm going to be supporting a men's conference here at uh, Glad Tidings Church. And then I'm speaking to the church on Saturday night, Sunday, and then to their satellite church on Sunday night. And then I'll be back on Monday evening. So, Patriots, before we begin, we know that we're in a pretty crazy time. There's two important things to think about. The first one is preserving your wealth, and that's why we have Birch Gold. The last time we went through a recession, there were stocks that literally went to zero. Washington Mutual, Lehman Brothers, Chrysler, multiple blue chip stocks went to little or no value almost overnight. Could that happen again? And if it did, are your savings protected? Why not own something that has never been valued at zero? Gold. Historically, your best hedge against inflation, which is racing out of control as we speak. The savviest Americans diversify their savings to protect them from the downturns in the market, from global instability, and from a falling dollar. Do you? Birch Gold Group helps you hold gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. In fact, if you have a 401k or IRA that's underperforming, just text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898, and you can convert that into an IRA in precious metals right now. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898, and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on diversifying into gold tax-free. Hedge against inflation. Protect your hard-earned money. Get your free info kit by texting BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 today. And yes, and then the other thing we have to concern ourselves with, which I'm just going to hit them right up front here, is making sure your skills are up to protect your family. If there was ever a story that best encapsulated how bad crime has become, it's the one about Starbucks providing baristas with active shooter training because our cities aren't safe anymore. And while the Supreme Court has made it easier for you to conceal carry for protection, it's your responsibility to be properly trained. That's why I endorse iTarget Pro. This system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime in the safety and privacy of your own home. No more inconvenient trips to the range and you will save a ton on practice ammo. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm and start your training experience. Improve muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. iTarget Pro comes in all the major calibers, including .223, so you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Save 10% plus free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to iTargetPro.com right now. This is the smartest investment in your ability to safely and effectively handle your firearm. Plus, it will pay for itself in one day. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. Offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you want to have. And for those who have been asking, no, I have not found a flamethrower sponsor yet, but we'll keep digging. All right, Patriots, so, you know, it's pretty interesting because I had a really good drive down, and it was a nice, peaceful drive down to just really reflect and to kind of dig deep into some conversations with Jesus, and it was really good. Uh, We're really in a very interesting time, and it's a time when you start to really look at the lay of the land and how we have all been placed around I think it's not accidental, and I've I've mentioned this before because as I traveled around the nation for six weeks, one of the things that really jumped out in a constant theme was a lot of people saying how they felt isolated or alone because there wasn't communities around them. From an optic, when we look at ourselves, that's understandable, but when we start to look at a bigger plan of disbursement and setting up satellites and preparing for what is definitely coming, which is going to be one of the most challenging times in human history. Understanding location, and even if you do feel like you're the only one around, that is really a gift. And this is where we really have to start changing the optics on a lot of the things that we're facing. There is a world out here that is still very much wandering. And in the metaphor of wandering in the desert, they are literally wandering. 
and they, in fact, they're still willing to be enslaved. Now you go back to Exodus and it's pretty interesting because when you look at Exodus and you look at the 10th plague and they were told to take the gold and the silver and to leave. But what's interesting is the scripture reminds us that it was the masters, the slave masters that told them to leave. The slaves wanted to stay, they weren't moving. I wouldn't say they wanted to stay behind, but they weren't moving. And it was the point of telling them to take the gold and silver because otherwise they would all, they would all die. And so there was a reluctancy for the slaves to take a lead to leave Egypt. And this is a very interesting piece because I think we're seeing a lot of that right now in parallel. And we're witnessing around us, if we look around, a mass amount of people that are very willing to accept things as they are and not willing to jump forward and to step out and lead into a new direction. But there is a core, and that core is a remnant, and that remnant are those that are truly walking with Jesus and walking with Christ and and through the Father. And as we see this, we're seeing a strength arise, a separation, and it's really a different person, a different type of person, as it should be, because we've actually been reborn through for Jesus. But in the process of moving into this world, we're accepting more and more that we're not of this world. And as we accept that place, we become the leads, we become the guides, we become those that can be the ambassadors. And with that, lead the people out of this slumber. We're going to go through a very long period here. It's not going to go quickly. And I know that there's a lot of anticipation of big military moves and there's a lot of this rattle going on. But I really don't think that is the way it's going to ultimately play out. And even if it does in the short term, the fight is only just beginning. The real challenge in this world, in particular our nation, is to reset the moral base. Correcting the, the, the evil, taking the evil out, only works if the moral base is reset. And that's what we're most bankrupt on. We're seeing this constant allegiance with this Luciferian side, the Satan's power of drawing people in. And if you really look at this slow and steady fall that's happening, and it is, it's been a grinding fall for the last two years. And I, in my opinion, it's going to go on for another five. It's going to be a seven-year span. And as that steady decline happens, it's going to impact each person, and each person is going to have to face a choice of whether to choose Jesus or to continue to try to grind into a system that continues to grind them down. And that's really more in tune with the way God works anyway, scripturally. We tend to have impatience. And within patience, we tend to look at things and eagerly want things to change. But that isn't really consistent with scripture because what we're needing to witness here right now is to see how this long longer-term process of grinding people down, wearing them down, bringing them ultimately to their knees, whether they want it to be or not, that is where we shine the greatest. And as we shine there, because we're, we need to be steadfast, steadfast in our faith, steadfast in all that we're doing from sowing seeds to building home churches to working on, in ways that we can use our gifts and talents to expand into the kingdom. And as we do, we become that symbol, that power that others will seek and others will seek guidance from. And that isn't to say that we're going to be there giving them a big pat on the back and a big wet kiss because that ain't going to happen. But this is tough love. And really, if you look at tough love, tough love is really pure love because this is where we have to really stand to and remind people of their duty and responsibility of taking care of themselves. It's a classic parable. You can give a man a fish and he'll feed his family for a day. You can teach a man to fish and he'll feed his family for life. And that's really where we're arriving at a point where the skills that we're gaining, the, the experience that we're gaining, and all the experience that we've gained even through these two years of miserable nonsense of the COVID-con, where we're able now to move to a place where we have a foundation of strength. We have dealt with this we have turned our eyes towards Jesus, and we've got ourselves deeper into that relationship. And so the only thing we need to really be focusing on is digging deeper and deeper into Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And though God were making, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is ultimately who we are in our mission, which is to make the plea to people through the way we walk, the way we live, and through whatever we can to bring them to Jesus. And if they refuse, that is their destiny. We cannot force a person to consume that any more than you can force a horse to drink. But at times, I think a horse that's thirsty is probably smarter than a lot of the people out here who are very stubborn. However, this is where I believe, and I truly do believe, that God's plan is so masterful. Because even now, if we are to extend a hand to somebody and they refute or push back on what we say, time will fix much of that because they have at least been reminded of where they need to be as the system continues to grind down and degrade itself and collapse around them. There isn't going to be much left that we recognize in five years. This system is truly imploding, and it must. And with this, we have to realize that the order that we're living under is truly a Luciferian satanic order that has seized control of all the Western countries, and it's trying to control all the world. And so we're at a, we're, we are at war within our own, with our own government, which is easy to understand from a spiritual point of view, but a lot of people are having difficulty rec- reconciling it in the physical because they're trying to see a government under a flag that represented a republic when, in fact, that was the whole illusion and the trick. These people truly do worship Satan at the core, and they lead all the others with them. But the thing about it is, that works when you're, quote, winning, when your ideologies like the fake climate science, when you deal with the fake COVID science, when you deal with the fake gender science, all of this stuff, and you see it out here and you're hearing your strategies being forced into people's lives, it gives them an energy to feel like they're winning. But when the basics start to disappear, all of those things that are ancillary, All those things become ancillary to the realities of life. Here's the basics of life everybody needs. You need food. You need shelter. You need clothing. You need heat. And you need some form of energy to do many things, whether it's transportation or whether it's even communication. And communication is a reality in this age. But we're seeing those systems crack and crumble. The university systems right now are on the verge of a total implosion over the next two years. Cliff High did an amazing piece, a really, really good piece on insight of what's going to drive the collapse of the university system and how that's going to create its own tsunami across the space of loyalty to the deep state system. Right now, a lot of what drives this, quote, religion of science are academic juried papers. So when a corporation hires, needs an idea, or the think tanks, the WEF, the Council of Foreign Relations, whoever is funding this, needs something to justify the shift in direction they're making. They hire a professor. They They give a grant, and they ask them to do research. And that research then is already biased by the intention of what the money is given. The money is the graft. And so a study is given by somebody with a PhD, and then it's juried by a team of PhDs. All of them have been bought off. But the paper then represents the science, which is the religion that they want us to be moved into. And as that happens, they've built, they've basically built their religion around an empire of these documents that people can refer to and say, look, here's the truth, there's the truth, there's the truth. All of it's a lie. But they've steered an entire generation, and that generation has infiltrated into corporations, and they're continuing with this pipeline. But here's the problem. As we've gone into this cycle of injections, as we've gone into this cycle of people dying off, as we've gone into this cycle of people becoming sick, and that's countered with this rise of awakening, as people have had time to spend on the internet, to dig, to look, and as they've also sought the wisdom that only comes through God, 
these things, their minds are beginning to open again. They're beginning to think free again, and they're starting to see things differently, and they're questioning. And the academic juried papers, as they are waning in their staffing because of this various die-offs, injections, sickness, economics, etc., they can't keep pace with the rate of awakening that's happening. And so the fracture, a critical fracture, is happening within the matrix. And as this begins to happen, more and more people begin to question, but that also leads to people in panic and in searching mode. Their religion is falling around them. And this religion is powerful. We have seen the meltdowns of what we call Trump derangement syndrome. If you look at this from a real optic, what you're witnessing are people's religion collapsing around them and they have nothing to catch them. Their whole foundation, everything they believed is collapsed. And in that process, they have only one thing to do, scream, yell, throw a fit, have panic attacks, because there's no other relationship to the world than what they've had is the institutions which they've been told and led to worship. This is the true power of idolatry and what happens when idolatries are stripped away. And you can expect to see a lot of this happening more and more as we progress forward. Our role becomes ever increasingly important. And I, and I do not understate this. And I, and I don't say this from any sort of arrogance, but rather from the power of the humility in which we walk. We truly need to embrace the power of where we are to remember that we are here to love thy neighbor. And many of us begin with running, as it says in Galatians 5, 7 to 10, you were running a good race Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Rather, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing into confusion, whoever that may be, will pay the penalty. So much of this confusion has been sown through the media, through the government agents, through the stripping away of God in every institution and every turn in our life. And the only way God's going to get back is if he has spread out his army across this entire nation in little communities and enclaves, and we are all there saying the same thing. We are all there praying. We are all there reaching. We are all there talking and pleading to have people return to Christ. And pleading isn't begging, let's be clear. This is making the case that it is the only way forward. Keeping in mind that many people in this age don't even understand what a relationship with a father is, let alone who Jesus is. It has been that debased, which is sickening in itself, but it's something we have to come to grips with. So it is time for us to literally start embracing the, the magnanimity of what we have been given before us. God has stripped away the veneers. We, have, we are looking now truly at this time where all things in darkness have been exposed to light and continue to be. And it's making many people unstable, making many people fearful, making many people angry, hateful. These are all the initial phases of loss because what they had trusted in is now dying. We're okay. And we're okay because we're solid in that rock of faith, putting our eyes on Jesus, knowing that wherever he's taking us is where we need to be because not of this world, but working in this world is the critical difference of all we face. Luke 18, 27 to 29, but he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom. Revelations 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. 
See, Patriots, we're in this really amazing place where it feels like we're being spread out. We're feeling like we're being separated, but we're not because this is all part of the kingdom work. It is kingdom business. And at the same time, as we get wrapped into our moments, it is necessary for us to pay attention to who's knocking at the door. Satan comes in by force. He slithers in like the serpent. He'll find his way into the thoughts to try to corrupt what we do. Hence Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 to remind us constantly of keeping that armor on because we are dealing truly with principalities beyond our reach. But when we deal truly with the power of the Lord, it's a choice and it's a politeness. It's an unbelievable loving. It's literally God standing at the door and saying, may I come in? This is Father God who created us, not forcing his way in. But this was the fight from the beginning. Satan wanting us to be forced to worship and God saying no. They will have a choice of who they worship. The choice that we make with our true heart and a pure heart, following him is the power of the true of where we gain the true inheritance because we're doing it with a true love and desire and passion to pursue him, not because we're told to be obedient. And this is where the difference in the two sides really comes out. And it's a powerful difference that we have to remember. Right now, we're in a very, very interesting time and place where much of what we have been dealing with. Do you with, see shares as the last line of defense? That was wrong. We are in a time when there is so much at stake and we're looking out at the enemy and we're looking at him being fierce and ferocious and in many ways stomping us. And we keep saying to ourselves, well, but in the end, God wins. That's right. He does. As he did in the time of Noah. But that didn't settle so well with so many others. So I want to give you another perspective tonight. It's something to think about. And I'm going to tell it through a story of football. In 2001, Fiesta Bowl, this was in Las Vegas. It was a game between Oregon State Beavers and Notre Dame Fighting Irish. The coach for Oregon State was who I believe to this day was the greatest coach ever at Oregon State, but that is not a popularly held belief. His name was Dennis Erickson, and the coach of Notre Dame was a longtime coach, Bob Davey, legendary and an amazing coach in his own right. Oregon State was young. It's not done many bowls. It's had years and years of a losing season. But Erickson took up all the guys, the inner city kids that no one wanted, and he turned them into fierce fighting football players. And they fought hard. Like they street fought, they fought on the field. Not necessarily physically, but definitely they hit hard and they were aggressive. So when they got down to Las Vegas, Oregon State began to set up and Notre Dame came in and there was all sorts of trash talking going on. Notre Dame was the elite school. Gold helmets, they had, every, they had all the money, they had the legend, and they had the coach, Bob Davies. Dennis Erickson was actually came from the 49ers and had been a pro coach, but this was his first run in, in college football. So as this began and the, and the media swarmed around Notre Dame and all there was was trash talking about Oregon State. Now, Oregon State is a land-grant college, which by definition means it's an agricultural college. And in so meaning, Oregon State it gets named the Cow College. And this was the sort of degrading terms that Notre Dame was doing. So one night, early on in the in the days leading up to the game, it was one of the first nights, Dennis Erickson and the team, other team coaches came in quietly at night, rented some new vans that nobody recognized, and they quietly had all the team slip out the back door of the hotel. And they put them into vans and they took them across the city. And they put them in another hotel and they found another practice field to practice to keep them away from the noise. The media didn't know where they were. In fact, the media sent out scouring agents to look, and it wasn't until the day before the game that the media actually found the Oregon State team. But this was almost a week with no contact with the team. So the game began. 
And Oregon State didn't say a lot. Notre Dame continued its trash talk. It's it had its arrogance. It knew that its coach and its reputation would make it lead it to victory. So the game began, like I said, in the first quarter, Oregon State scored three points. Notre Dame scored none. In the second quarter, Oregon State scored nine points and Notre Dame scored three. After halftime, Oregon State came out screaming. And they scored 29 points and Notre Dame scored none. And in the fourth quarter, Notre Dame scored one touchdown, but it couldn't even complete the, the final or the conversion point. So the final score of the game was 49, 41 to 9. The number itself was humiliating to Notre Dame. But Dennis Erickson wanted to make a point. So he told his guys in the fourth quarter to make it hurt, and they did. And Notre Dame suffered at least three guys being taken off the field in stretchers. Dennis Erickson said later he wanted to make sure that Notre Dame never, lost, never forgot that loss. And in fact, they didn't because they went on for about three or four more seasons of a losing season before they started to get their things together again. The loss was devastating. I want you to think about that perspective for a minute. And I'm going to invert this a little bit into a scriptural framework. We have a lot of arrogance in our way of looking at things that God always wins. And we're dealing with an enemy that's very much like Erickson's team. They're looking over at us and they're saying, Satan, these are God's children. And Satan is saying, yeah, but look how they disrespect the one God. Look at how much they ignore the one God. Look at how arrogant they are, and yet they have everything. And so from that comes much of their belief that they are the rightful heirs to this world, that we don't deserve this place, because what are we doing? We're turning our back on the greatest creator, the creator, the one creator, the one God, the true God. And Satan's saying, look, you see them? They're just a bunch of air. You can win this. You can take this and make it hurt. Patriots, that's pretty much how we are in this day as a society, as a country, as a place that we are. And we have to start giving this some real thought. We're on God's team. And that means we have to fight hard. That means we have to dig in. And that means we can't take anything for granted. This isn't going to be an easy fight. And yes, like we always say, God wins. But that doesn't excuse us from our responsibility here in this time on this earth. And while you hear as well, many people saying, well, we're in Revelation and Jesus is going to return. Fine. We don't know that timing and we need to be reminded that only God knows the timing. And we've been told that and yet people keep trying to trying to read the clock to say when Christ is going to be here. That in itself is blasphemy. Our mission is simple. We've been thrust behind enemy lines. The enemy is active, it's persistent, and it's, and it's intense. Our role, occupy, expand, and subdue. And we have been given all the authority to do that. Our authorities are profound because they've been given to us by the Son of God who sacrificed and was sacrificed for our sins and then resurrected. We have been given life, but that doesn't mean we just get a free ticket and a free pass simply because we accept Jesus in our heart. That's our first step. The real work is now. And what we face ahead of us in what I truly believe is going to be the biggest challenge we've ever imagined. That mountain we're climbing is going to get steeper and harder than we've ever thought possible. And it is easily conquered if we keep God tight in our heart. The enemy is on the offensive, and right now they're feeling they're winning. But we can turn this table and we can turn that story around to where we are the ones that score 42 points and they score nine. To do that, we have to be persistent. We have to be intense. We have to be unrelenting. No matter what we hear in the news, no matter what they tell us, to understand that our mission is driven by the one God himself. 
And until that moment that Jesus arrives, our mission doesn't stop. And even then, arguably, it doesn't stop until Christ tells you to stop. We are the soldiers in the army under the banner of Jesus. And so for me, when I look at the story of Oregon State and I look at the story of Notre Dame and that story, I see the two ways of looking at it. We could become Notre Dame. Sure, God will win. But I don't know what that looks like for us because I don't think that fares well. Or we could be Dennis Erickson's team with the other side thinking it's one and us being so fierce and so intense that when we win this, we leave them with a memory that they will never forget because we have won and subdued. And we've done it all through God. That's the story of David. That's the story of Gideon. That's the story of Joshua. You know, we forget about Joshua. We talk about Joshua and we talk about this army and we talk about walking these walls for seven days and seven times on the seventh day and God tears down the walls. And then they go through and they slay everyone. And we think of Joshua's army as an army. But Joshua's army were people that had been wandering. They weren't a refined army. They'd been wandering the desert. They'd been learning how to fight. They weren't professional soldiers. When they crossed the river Jordan, he handed them the memory stone, the memorial stone. It's an anchor point for them to remember that true passion and loving Father God. All of this had the faith and richness of the love of God, but the ferocity of the fire of righteousness within it. And no one here, ever, no one in those stories ever wavered. We have to get back to that. And right now, as we have a nation that is spread out and consumed with its consumerism, its debts, its, its gameplay, all of these towers that they're in, in tied into are crumbling down. They're falling one by one. Steadily, they're collapsing. It's not happening like tower number seven, where all of a sudden they pull it and the whole thing collapses. There'll be some of that. But this is longer term. This is more destructive in the way of idols. Because it's the slow erosion and the separation of the power of the idol over the individual. And we've been witnessing this for two years, and it's a steady fall. What we're into now is a steady decline of power of the, of the old guard, of Satan's rule. And with it, his army is going to be fracturing piece by piece. The loyalties that they willfully give to him will start to break. They'll start to look elsewhere. And this is where we guide We point their way to Christ. They can choose. Hopefully they choose well. But they will choose well if we are setting the powerful example of what it is to walk with Jesus. Our fearlessness, that light that we carry within us, that powerful love in Christ that we have, is a demonstration of overcoming and always being on top because God has us there. This is where we have to be. And this is how we will lead And again, 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Our walk is such an important walk in this point in time. And our fearlessness comes from the fact that we walk with Jesus. There is no fear in that place. Again, the reason it's said so many times in Scripture, fear not, 365 times, depending on the version. It's a reminder because every time we have fear, we don't have faith. It should be considered a sin. We have to get back to the intensity of the Word. We have to get back to the intensity of the life living the Word through Christ. And as we do that, our life becomes richer. Our life becomes more powerful. It's just like the idea that a powerful man stands when in fact we know the greatest power of the man is the one who bows before God and humbles himself before God because he's the mightiest of all. He knows where his power comes from. He who stands on his own to try to wield the sword on his own will die by that sword. 
he who has the humility to put himself before God and then stand with God will win with God. This is our path ahead, and it cannot be overstated how important this is that each of us carry that strength and that light in our world, in our communities, in our, in our families. Our households have to be true beacons with the love of God. Everywhere we go, we are walking, and that's true discipleship. That's true ministry. And that's the next part of this is to embrace the idea that what we do is ministry. If you're a truck driver, that's your form of ministry. If you're a doctor, that's your ministry. If you are a gardener, if you're a mother, if you're a father, all of this is ministry because we're living in that mission with Jesus. But it's the most humble that set the foundation for the kingdom. It's not the most bold and arrogant in ego. In fact, the kingdom is an inverted pyramid because those of the the strength flows from below with those that are most humble. And as we understand that, it's the, essentially it's like being the janitor and the powerful janitor that takes care of all the messes, but is there all the time with all the wisdom. This is the role that changes the world. This is the walk that changes the world. And as we do this and we walk powerfully here and we seek that deep relationship with Jesus, there's literally nothing that can stop what we're bringing. So in this time, it is so important to keep your focus and your eyes on Christ in all that you do. Things are going to get crazy. You're going to get, depending on where you are, you're going to see a lot of wild things. People are going to panic. They're going to lose their mind. You're going to see people without food, getting evicted from homes, living on cars, it's going to increase. You know, the one thing I've seen as I've traveled across this nation, I have seen more stealth camping, and if you don't know what that is, as people living out of their vans and, and sleeping in parking lots at night than I've ever seen before. Every travel trailer place, every RV place is packed because people have left their homes, many of them, and they're now living on the road and not having, they're trying to save from property taxes. We're becoming, we're becoming a migrant society and we're migrating from one side of the country to the other, up and down the coast, up and down the roads, north and south. And displacement is only going to get worse. Food costs skyrocketing, gas costs skyrocketing. I went from 580 a gallon in Oregon to 680 a gallon tonight here in California. And I, every time I pay that, I think of the small towns, I think of the people that are working minimum wage that are now having to choose between food and gas or rent and gas or feeding their child and gas. This is becoming critical and it hasn't even stopped yet. We're probably going to see 10 to $12 a gallon gas by, the, by after the first of the year. All of these things are stressors that are collapsing an idolatry system. And so many people's eyes that have been moved away from God and gone into this material world, this world of debt enslavement, this world of worship of idols, it is falling apart. And the only way we're going to get through this powerfully is as we lead them back to their eyes on God. That true trust and faith in him to know that where he leads us, where he guides us, it's not an easy walk to get back on that path, by the way. And we know that. And that's something to keep in mind because people often think that when the, suddenly when they embrace Jesus, like it's all going to change. We change. But the process to move back into that place where we have the balance and the trust and the prosperity that God sees that we need begins with little things as he as. Much is given, much is asked. So we have to be that guide. We have to be that agent in the community to help bring people together to where we start working together and not relying on government. Government is that trap, the offerings of the hands of welfare. That's how they bait you in. That's how they destroy your connection with faith and all the various things that happen there. We should be based on self-reliance, community strength, 
the things to help people stand on their own. Some people need more support than others, but as we work together, everybody gains that freedom, that independence, and ultimately that sovereignty through God Almighty. All of these things now sit on our path before us to lead and to guide our communities there. It begins with the people around you. It begins with your family. And as we do that, we're going to find common people of common thought and direction with the common love in Jesus to walk with. But don't feel alone wherever you're at. Because this has been the most brilliant move God could ever do. To take his children, who he truly trusts, and to say, I'm spreading you across the nation and across the world. I'm sprinkling you into communities. I'm pulling you near your families. And now you need to be the beacons to lead the many home. That's a pretty profound mission. It's an amazing gift. And it's one that we all can do as long as we keep our eyes on Christ. Patriots, let's pray. Father, very blessed this evening having the opportunity in fellowship as late as it is even, a late night with Jesus. And thank you for this time. As you have blessed us with a place to come in fellowship to use these digital spaces to assemble from all over the world, we're truly honored and truly humbled by the entire mission set before us. And though we can't see the whole thing, Father, we begin to get glimpses of the profound nature of what we're what sits before us, the ability for us each in our, in our communities, wherever we live, to truly become that light, that light that others seek because we allow Christ to work through us and we seek that close and intimate relationship with him. Father, we pray tonight as well for the ferocity of, the, of that spirit that never quit, that never died, that relentless push with the fires of righteousness to lead to show boldness in face of evil, to not allow evil any move, and yet to show the humbleness with our neighbor, to show the compassion and the love that only, only you can give. So God, Father God, just guide us in this time. Give us the wisdom we need as we walk this path, a challenging path. It's going to test us and pull us in many ways. But what we know most in our heart is as we keep our eyes on Jesus and to you, Father, we will not waver and we will never bow. Guide us and protect us, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So patriots, it's a beautiful time to be alive, a challenging one, but we're being raised up into the true spirit self that we are. We are spirit beings in a body, not a body with a spirit sideline. And we need to gain that deep experience of the living world that we have here. Jesus is with us. Every step of the way, he's there. All we have to do is reach and ask. And if you feel that you're not even getting the connection you want, pray on it. Ask God. Tell him what you need. Sometimes all we have to do is just reach and say, Father God, I need a closer connection with you. Don't hesitate. This isn't time to hesitate. This is time to ask and to seek and to grow closer and more powerfully with him. This is an amazing time he's put us in here, and he's trusting us to do the job with him and through him. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us, and in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time and in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom and subdue. In the end, God does win. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow. We're bended knee until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. To the deepest end Oh